You're listening to Red Nation Online. You're listening to the Paul James and Soccer Podcast. Commentary and analysis by Paul James, former Canadian soccer player, television analyst, coach, and member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Well, here we are with episode 17 of the Paul James on Soccer podcast, and it was a very quiet week on the pitch, with Toronto FC not having any matches scheduled, and the Whitecaps' sole fixture against Real Salt Lake postponed due to an unplayable waterlogged pitch. That said, it was a very eventful week off the pitch for both Toronto FC and the Whitecaps, with both teams making very significant trades and roster moves. At the international level, the Women's World Cup ended in a dramatic fashion with Japan defeating the United States on penalty kicks in a match that in spirit and style of play, in my mind, put to shame the last men's final between Spain and the Netherlands. In some ways, the World Cup victory by Japan can be construed as an inspirational victory for the Canadian soccer community, given that Japan did not make it out of the group stage four years ago, and a precedent is now set that if Canada does the right things, we can turn it around in time for 2015, when we'll be the tournament hosts. We usually start each episode of the Paul James on Soccer podcast by jumping right into the matches that were played on the weekend and in the preceding week. I'd like to start our podcast this week in a different way. You wrote a very strong and thought-provoking opinion piece last week entitled Politics Rule in a Weak Canadian Soccer Nation that generated a lot of comments and emails from the people who read it. What are your general thoughts on the responses that were received to your article? Well, Steve, I think it's uh, I think it's good. I think it's uh, it was a sensitive issue, quite uh, quite clearly. And uh, my experience has been, you know, just myself personally, is that when when people address issues with you, that when you react immediately, whether it's positive or whether it's negative, it's um, you know it hits a nerve somewhere. You know that um, that there's some truth in what people are saying or what people are writing. And I think that um, I'm not a professional writer, Steve. You know, when I worked for the Global Mail for a year, um, I found it difficult. Um, but uh, what, what I did is, is to try and write and, and provoke uh, discussion and to provoke, um, you know, other thoughts on, on a certain subject matter. And, I, you know, I actually believe from who I read um, a lot, whether it's Stephen Brunt or whether it's John Doyle at the Globe in particular, um, you know, that's right. I, I think writing is about it's to it's to really provoke interest and to to get people to think maybe in another way about an important issue. That was the purpose of it, and it was provoked for me um, by let's say somebody has said something out in the industry that I have strong and passionate feelings about myself and maybe uh, and a different point of view. So that that's where it would come from. I think that um, the responses have been amazing. I had more emails. Um, from that particular subject matter than anything I wrote uh, for the Globe, and, and there were a few uh, articles that I wrote were strong there too. So I think you know, hopefully, it's um, um, it was in, in, an important contribution, at least to open up the dialogue and, and to certainly open up people's minds about where we actually are. Because I passionately believe that the number one issue that we have in Canada is is politics, and and what I mean by politics, simplistically, therefore, when it comes to people is that we, we all too often 
um, you know, have people in the wrong positions. It's not that these people wouldn't be necessarily good people and couldn't be contributors, but we generally have too many people in the wrong positions. And it, it might be because it's a glamour position. You know, I, I sort of uh, could use an analogy of, of saying, you know, you go to a lake with a piece of bread and you, have, uh, you break it up into 10 pieces and you throw that out onto the lake. And then you get every, you know, you get probably a hundred birds or seagulls uh, or ducks fighting for what is what is ten pieces of bread, and and I see that within our industry here. The, the downside that we have in the Canadian soccer industry is that we have few um, opportunities and few glamour opportunities, few of the of, uh, of the real good positions that um, you know available. If it's in England, if it's in Italy, you know, there's uh, there's hundreds. Of, um, of great soccer full-time positions. Uh, if it's the United States with the intercollegiate system there with the full-time coaching positions, there are great, uh, great uh, employment opportunities for people. We don't have that in Canada, and I, I, I can see where a lot of it comes from, from the, the political fighting, is that, you know, you have, you have all those, you know, a lot of people fighting for one position. And, and politics to me is, is that generally... When we get it wrong, is that it's some of those people want that position so desperately they might not be the best candidate, they might not be qualified in certain positions, yet they still get that position. And why is that? That is politics because they manipulate the the um, the circumstances, whether it's uh, through their personalities, whether it's through um, undermining or saying negative things about other people. However, they do it. They get in those positions. That, to me, is the essence of politics, whether that's in an office environment. But it certainly is the case in Canada. And, and the, the proof in the pudding, and the problem is with it, is that we cannot maximize our, our potential if we have too many of those people in important positions. Because, as I said in the article, they end up protecting themselves. They end up uh, getting people of the same ilk. And, and, and that's what I mean. One of the responses, you know, talked about um, the way to deal with that and that it's, uh, uh, it is to have reform and is to have uh, rules and, and regulations for it. Well, you know, I get that. But if the people that are, are bringing forward the reform are the wrong people and it, or, or take a hypocritical approach about how, how they feel that that should be put in place, yet they don't abide by rules and regulations themselves or manipulate the system themselves, then we get nowhere. And that's the problem in Canada is, is that when we talk about structural change, it really it, it makes no difference if we don't have the right people, period. And those people that you have have to be principled and have to be have to, to to not play that particular power game. It really is. I mean, people can say it happens in every industry. Yes, it does. But if we want to maximize our potential as a soccer nation, we have to get that right. We can't bury our heads. Uh, in the sand, that's for sure. Whenever I read a column or article that is strong in its criticism on a particularly complex topic, I do like to see the author temper the negatives with some highlighting of the positive aspects of the situation, which you did by highlighting just a very small handful of the people that you think have made positive contributions to Canadian soccer, and by also providing some of your suggestions on how to, pr to improve the system here in Canada. I think those types of suggestions and ideas on how to improve the overall system in Canadian soccer are very much what the Canadian soccer community is looking for, not just from you, but from other qualified experts and analysts. I'm wondering if you could provide some further insight into ways in which we can improve Canadian soccer as a whole. Well, 
You know, it's a good question. It's a difficult one because it would, uh, you know, because this is a, a 40 minute podcast or a 30 minute podcast, Steve. So I keep it, I keep it tight. What I would want to say though, is that when I mentioned some of those people, I think it was about eight or nine or 10 people, <clears throat> clearly there's a lot more around the country that, um, that have uh, incredible positive contributions. And in many ways, you know, North America, uh, the United States and Canada, um, you know, in particular, have, a, have an, an amazing infrastructure when it comes to amateur football. And when you look at the minor soccer club system throughout our country, I mean, it really is sophisticated, you know, and it, it is very well organized. There's some real positives there. And there's a lot of other positive people that have uh, contributed a lot. So, you know, it wasn't my intent to, to put out, uh, you know, eight or nine or ten names and then, uh, you know, not include, you know, many others or not recognize many others. Those particular people I've encountered, I've dealt with, and I've found that um, as opposed to the political side or the political manipulation or, or agenda side, I found these people to be uh, incredibly uh, positive. There's other ones. I just wanted to quickly say about Stan Adamson at the, uh, at the um, Canadian Soccer League, who's, who's done an amazing job for very little in return. And, uh, and has been around for, you know, for such a long time and, and really has been in the trenches of trying to develop and help and contribute to Canadian soccer. There's also Tony Waiters, clearly. You know, Tony Waiters is the World Cup coach in 1986. Uh, he's the person responsible for developing the long-term player development program. You know, it's ironic that he gets really, you know, um, ridiculed and, and criticized for the way our 16 played, which would have said, let's say, be uh, non-technical. That wasn't Tony's fault. He just inherited the players he inherited, you know. But he is the sort of inspiration. He goes away and develops a program that really is about developing good habits and good techniques in players at a very young young age. I mean, you know, quality person. And then I would also want to mention the, the CIS. For me, the CIS in, uh, in, in Canada, the university system, as I've said now a number of times, is underutilized. And when you talk about your most intelligent soccer people, in my opinion, are coaches that have been around for 10, 15, 20 years. When you coach, you encounter just about every issue, every problem that you have in soccer uh, from top to bottom. Because as a coach, you have to recruit, you have to motivate, you have to look at players, you have to see, you see all the flaws in our industry when you are a coach, and particularly at a, at a significant level, which the university level is. Yeah, we, we tend not to, again, utilize that system properly and effectively, in my opinion. Just to finish off, um, though, what, what you said, I, you know, the other idea is, and, and so how do you change and how do you penetrate and how do you change that political aspect? You know, the, the, the biggest area is about people. It's about the leaders at the top. You know, and we have some of the wrong leaders, in my opinion, but you have to hope along the way. And sometimes it's about people from outside the soccer industry uh, deal with this, so they're the ones to, to turn around and, and change the system, is that you have to hire the right leaders. You have to hire people that haven't cut corners, people that have the right values, people that have the right experience, and people that have the right qualifications for jobs. If they don't meet those qualifications, then um, then they shouldn't be hired, and you should, you should not be, if you're the top of an organization or company, being hiring people based on a personality ethic as opposed to a character ethic which is, uh, you know, I'm particularly strong with. You know, that, that will take uh, character itself from the organizations that do that. That will take, uh, you know, good foresight for them to do it. But I think it's, uh, it's really important they do their due diligence. You know, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, I believe over the last year, have done a really good job 
because going outside, they went outside the country to get Klinsmann to be the consultant. He has no agendas in this country. He looks, he's a very experienced person at, at every level, and he's come in. And I think, as I've said before, and this is not a love affair with uh, Aaron Vinter, but I do see positive things. I'm going to talk about Toronto FC in a minute, but I see positive things. You know, we don't hear from Tom and, Tom and Sami anymore. We hear from Aaron Vinter on every issue. That's how this club should have been run from day one, but it wasn't. You know, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment got it wrong. They might not admit it, but they've got it wrong. They've hired some, some of the wrong people. And, and I'm not talking about, um, about the players because they, they got that wrong as a result of the leaders that they brought in. They really, really listened to the wrong people and put in place based on politics as opposed right from the get-go it was based on politics as opposed to doing their due diligence and finding people uh, that were the right people so I believe they've done that I believe they've gone out and they've got a consultant from the outside that has as I said no agenda and that's the positive side of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment I think finally they got it they've given themselves a shake and go oh my god we got it so that is a, a, that should be an inspiration for other segments of our industry of how to do it and how to get uh, that uh, thing right anyway that's uh, that's my thoughts there's clearly much more and it's a very difficult issue i know it's a sensitive one but we need to get our hands, heads out of the sand and uh, and confront the issue and just accept that that's the way it is because the proof is in the fact that we haven't been successful we haven't been to a world cup in in since 1986 a quarter of a century there's a reason for that and it's it's generally comes back down to the people the people that have hired the coaches in between the people that have have made those decisions uh, have got it wrong along the way let's now talk about the roster moves that vancouver made starting with the signing of their second designated player in african striker mustafa jarju like eric hasley jarju is not a ticket selling name in the vein of david beckham and thierry henry and he comes from a good but secondary league in Europe via Belgium. The Whitecaps did abide by that common sense rule that you should use a DP slot on a player who will put the ball in the back of the net. What do you think about Vancouver's signing of Mustafa Jarju? Well, you know, Steve, I, I think it's really, really interesting signing. And, and again, you've alluded to that. It, it's, you know, clearly behind closed doors, they're on a strategic mission in how they're going to go about their business. And, you know, I have to say, you know, time will tell. We have to, we have to judge, uh, you know, Mustafa for how he plays now, and we'll see by, by the end of the season. But, you know, I actually like it. You know, when you talk about a common sense move, you know, your big market uh, teams in New York and, and, and L.A., you've got Beckham, you've got Henri. You know, there, there is that, uh, that um, image, that branding of the team by getting a top player for, for an attraction. I think Vancouver... Have gone the other route and said, "Well, we we we, we believe in our in our fan base to be able to come out and support this team. They don't need to get an aging star. They don't need necessarily the uh, the big time name. What they need is is that they need a quality player at the right price because it's very difficult, you know, and compare the salaries here, even DP salaries. They can't compare. You I mean they can't compare to the rest of the world? So, you know, I quite like that strategy. You know, now." You know, as the player himself, I'm a little bit surprised that um, they can find a DP player in, uh, let's say, the second division of not a, a league that wouldn't be considered in the top six or seven leagues uh, in, in the world. But having said that, and as you said in that, the, Eric Hasley, nobody really knew about uh, Eric Hasley before Vancouver uh, you know, brought him in, and he's been a, you know, a sensational success. 
you know so um, I, I think the fans and I think as uh, pundits or at least myself we've got to uh, you know put our faith and trust in uh, Tommy Stone and Bob Lenarduzzi uh, and Paul Barber that they've uh, again got it right because the issue for Vancouver is really not about uh, about the players they brought in the international players they brought in I thought they I think that that's been their strength this year they've brought in some terrific players they're just developing the depth of talent in the right positions uh, you know to to get it right and, and there's something amiss in how they're playing that they can't pull off the results they should be getting they've been competitive and close in every game it's not like Toronto FC that have uh, in many ways been uh, uh, been in turmoil from day one. I think Vancouver are on the right track. What I would say about this player is that uh, what I liked when I saw some uh, video clips of him, and I'm assuming that Tommy Stone has got this right, is that he's got pace. And hopefully he's got electric pace for them because that's, they're desperate for that. The fact that if, and if he does, and, he's, uh, and he is decent and he can score goals, then they're going to be a handful. Because Hasley, you know, he takes up at least... The, the concentration of two players, sometimes three players from the opponents, because they're concerned about him now. Well, if, well, the problem he's had, he's had no support, and they've had to play a certain way, and the Camilio uh, is, uh, or Chiamento, don't, don't have that, you know, electric pace to get in behind and to penetrate. If, uh, if this player does, then I think they're going to be, um, they're going to be much better, and I think they're going to threaten teams. And when you threaten teams by having a combination of a good, strong, quality player up front in Hasley, and then another person with uh, with pace, it's a concern. You have to, as a coach, you have to deal with it. When you're in your your uh, war room preparing to play Vancouver, if you know they've got two quality forwards and one is uh, great at holding the ball up and is technical, and the other player is lightning quick and can finish, you've got a problem and you need to solve it, and it puts you on edge. And you have to maybe make adjustments where you wouldn't make adjustments uh, against Vancouver right now. So it'll be interesting. I, and, and also, just to finish off on the point, you know, the fact that they didn't uh, win the uh, Canadian Championship. I'm wondering whether they would. I'm a bit surprised that they, they've actually gone out and got a DP player at this stage because they had lots of time now. Then they're clearly not going to. Uh, well, I don't think they're going to make the uh, the playoffs at this stage. I hope that I'm wrong, and I would address that if I am. But I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, um, and uh, and therefore they did have time. But if they're really um, adamant and they feel confident about this signing, then good for them. And I think it uh, it will give him good. Uh, good time to develop for next season understand what the MLS is all about. Vancouver's second roster move of the week was a pretty shocking trade of hometown boy Terry Dunfield to Toronto FC. Was that trade as big a surprise to you as it was to me? And what do you make of it from both teams' standpoints? Uh, yeah, it was definitely a surprise um, initially. But uh, I think on the last podcast or two podcasts ago, we you know sort of began to, to address... Um, you know Terry Dunfield because he wasn't being played and uh, it wasn't because of uh, in my opinion I could see it wasn't because of an athletic or a resting uh, issue it was because of a different thought from a different coach and you know it's it's like sometimes as a player uh, is that you you get left on the bench and in your mind you know players minds you know players generally even the most confident ones that uh, portray you know big enough ego um, are still insecure it's a very insecure profession 
So they become very sensitive to criticism. They get very sensitive about being left on the bench. So, you know, there's times, I imagine Terry Dunfield, when he was left on the bench in the one game, in his mind he's going, he's thinking, you know, okay, why? And this is, and, and, and his conclusions would be on a positive side, was because I'm being rested or he's looking at somebody else and I'm going to get ready for the big game. But when it happens one game and then the next game, the writing is on the wall. It's that the, the coach is thinking something different. And uh, that's 90% of the time. You know, it's, it's been my experience with uh, dealing with players is that when you have, uh, you know, a thought on a player that it doesn't quite fit into how you see things as a coach, it might not be that it's a character issue with the player at all. It just might be what you see. And I read that writing with, uh, with Tommy Stone. It's that I could see, for whatever reason, that uh, Terry Dunfield wasn't in his plan. So I, I think that is really a, an issue of, um, of Tommy being prepared to, uh, to let him go. Whereas Anne Dinter has, um, has watched him and liked him and seen the qualities that Terry Dunfield has and, um, and, uh, and has gone, gone after him and said, right, we, we'll bring him in. And that's, and that's what trades are about sometimes, you know, particularly this one. And, you know, nothing's been given in return at this stage, but it, it really is about, I mean, the downside for Terry, and I actually watched in, uh, the interview on um, when he arrived in the airport, got to TFC uh, TV, did a really good job of that, it was a nice clip, and it was really, it was almost poignant, without uh, being too sentimental and soft here, but it was almost poignant about, you know, listening to Terry speak about leaving and his father and being a, a hometown boy there, and then coming, you know, and coming into Toronto, and now his dad's going to be a, a Toronto FC, you know, fan from Vancouver. I mean, you know, but it really is about one coach doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't see you in his plans or doesn't like you particularly as a player, but you've got to focus and concentrate on the person that does want you. Like, that is the issue, and, and when somebody goes out of their way to come and get you, that should be the lift that you should get and the positive. You know, I like Terry Dunfield. You know, I, I've said that before. I thought he's done, he's done well. I can see where Tommy's coming from. Tommy is a, is a shrewd coach. He's been around long enough. I think with Terry Dunfield, it's an athletic issue because it is an athletic league. You know, it's, uh, it's fast. It's, uh, players are wiry in those positions. And if there's, a, if there's a weakness of Terry, he's not particularly quick. But also, I think somewhere on the line, Tommy has said about he, he's a bit scattered at times. You know, he, he tries to overdo things. He tries to take care. He, he works so hard that he actually takes care of other people's knitting. You know, he, he tries to do the work of two or three players when he needs to sort of, you know, calm down a little bit. And, and from that perspective, I actually think that this could be a trade that always round is good for everybody. It's good for Vancouver and it's good for Terry Dunfield because he will be in an environment where, where he is good at building up. He's not scared of receiving the ball. He works hard. It's exactly what Aaron Vince is about. He wants players. I think Aaron Vince will calm Terry down a little bit. He'll bring to Terry's game what maybe Tommy Song maybe thought himself couldn't, couldn't give to Terry's game. Uh, the other side is, is that there's, it, I think it's good for Terry to maybe get out of Vancouver. You know, as I said last week, it's that it was most like they were branding him. It was everything it was about Terry Dunfield. You know, other players they talk about, but every day it was about Terry Dunfield. And I think somewhere along the line that can be unhealthy for, uh, for Team Harmony and team, uh, the team environment. He won't get that so much here. It's a little bit more balanced. And I think that's uh, all around healthy. An interesting aspect of the Dunfield trade was that Toronto has not yet sent a player back to Vancouver and instead announced that the Whitecaps will receive allocation and future considerations. 
the chatter around the Canadian soccer community is that those future considerations will likely turn out to be the rights to former TFC Academy standout Kevin Alleman. If that comes to pass, does that change your perception of the trade? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that, um, y- y- you know, I- again, I-, I stand by what I just said. I think Vancouver were fine with letting Terry Dunfield go. I think that decision was probably made two or three weeks ago, who knows, a month ago. You know, Tommy Stone has been watching this team from day one and has an impression. So, you know, the uh, and, and who knows what... Um, there's question marks on, on Alleman. You know, I think if, if again, Aaron Vinter, um, he really is. We're going to talk about Nana in a minute. I'm str- I have strong opinions on Nana. But, you know, I think he's a, he's a strong personality, uh, Aaron Vinter. I think, don't think there's any flies on him at, at all. I think character is really, uh, really in, important to him. And he is, they have let Alleman go for a reason. You know, Carmen Asako, as I mentioned, I have tremendous respect for Carmen Asako. And he's talking about the swagger that... Uh, Alleman has, but maybe that's uh, you know maybe it's a little bit too much. Maybe there is a character or, or um, personality issue you know with him because you have to have that right. You know you mentioned about uh, about Japan you know er- earlier on in this podcast, and and it's unbelievable. And I've talked for the last two or three podcasts about Japan, and that's it. You know when we talk about about uh, um, what we need for Canadian players. Yes, we need the technical side. We all get that. We all really, really do. You know, you'd have to be living on Mars for the last 10 years to not get the technically we need to develop our, our players. But it's not exclusive of, of the, the work ethic, the, the character that goes with that. You know, Japan today were absolutely brilliant in all facets of the game. But for them to have beaten the States and take them to overtime, they had to outwork the United States that are athletic, bigger than them, you know, probably better athletes overall. And when you deal with that kind of team that are good themselves, you have to outwork them. And to outwork them, you have to be phenomenally fit. And to be phenomenally fit at that level and to have all those techniques, you've had to put in years and years and years of development and, and training and commitment and hard work and and so that has to be in place in our in our system and i'm not so sure that when we see some of the players like Alleman, that that necessarily is ingrained into them now, i might be wrong i haven't seen him i haven't been around him but i'm just going between the lines of why he would uh, not be around at toronto fc and i don't think tommy Sohn will make that kind of mistake i think he'll bring in players that are the right ones and so it might appear that way and people talking about it. And if it is, then, then, then good, good for Vancouver and, and, uh, and good for Alleman because I think Tommy Song will demand those characteristics in the players that he brings in, Bob Lenarduzzi as well. Well, the Whitecaps made a couple of significant roster moves. Toronto FC coach Aaron Vinter was true to his word and made not one, not two, but three trades that have significantly altered his roster. In addition to the Dunfield trade, Nana Atacora was traded along with Alan Gordon and Jacob Peterson to the San Jose Earthquakes for striker Ryan Johnson, allocation money, and an international roster spot. While I'm personally sad to see Atacora leave town, I am happy to see a talented young player get the opportunity to resuscitate his career under the guidance of Canadian head coach Frank Yallop, much like former TFC midfielder Sam Cronin did last year. Do you think that the move is a good one in terms of Atacora's continuing development as a young player? I think there's a, there's a lot. They said a lot, and you've just directed the one question, so I'm probably going to cover a few issues here. But, but um, I would say yes. 
I would say Nana needed to get out of uh, of, uh, of Toronto FC, and uh, as you said, with Frank Yallop, I mean Frank Yallop is uh, you know is a really good guy, is a good coach, you know, and it's really at inside, you know, Frank has been successful early part of his coaching career. Um, but now he needs to get back on track. Frank needs to win, and I think he recognizes that he can't rest on the fact of what happened, uh, you know, five or six years ago. He's done a good job in San Jose. He cares for his players, and what's great about Frank is is that he cares about Canadians. So he's, he's always, he will always take a chance on Canadian players. So I would say yes, it's a positive move. But the, the, you know, let's go back a year or go back eighteen months or two years, and everybody was so high on Nana Atacora. So, you know, let's look at Nana Atacora. Let's look at those four components of a soccer player. You look at the uh, the athleticism. Yes, he's got great athleticism. You look at the uh, technical side. He's decent tactically. He's improved since he came into the MLS and got the mental side. You know, there were a lot of positives about Nana Atacora. Commentators on the TV were, were raving about him, and I get that, and we saw it, and he's got good experience at international level. So why then... Is Toronto FC letting him go? And there was an article, uh, I think about a month ago, when Dwayne De Rosario left, and Dwayne De Rosario twittered to Nana Atacora that uh, I forget which outlet picked it up, but very cleverly picked up that and, and had two paragraphs on it. And, it. and it clearly showed there what the, when we talk about politics, and when we talk about politics at the top in our country, if we have politics at the, at the top that go on, that is so overt. You know, in how it goes about it, it filters down to every level and it filters down to our players. Because that is, you know, you, we live in a different age where, where players are, are twittering, they're sending messages to their friends that they don't play, they're sitting on the bench and they, they can grumble and they can go out. It was a tactical mistake from Dwayne De Rosario's perspective, from Nana's, because that to me really showed that there was some undermining going on there, that there was negativity. And uh, Renus Michels, if you ever you read his book, The uh, Legend of Dutch Coach, which uh, Aaron Binter would be, uh, it would probably be uh, a, a god to, to Aaron Binter, a sage would be, uh, would be Renus Michels. And Renus Michels talks about that specifically in his book about that when players go to the media and, uh, and talk negatively, if you don't have, gui- if you have guidelines in as a coach, then you need to be firm on that and you need to move those players out. And this might not be the, uh, the, the Toronto style, the global mail that, uh, that Dwayne and Nana communicated on, but they communicated something that showed that there was potential undermining and negativity. And so I, I'm not saying 100% that that's what uh, would have happened and stimulated the trade. But for me as a coach, looking at that and my experiences, is that I wouldn't particularly trust Nana at a quarter on that. And if you don't trust a player, that's going to stick by you as a coach, you have to move them on in a club environment. Sometimes your hands are tied at the international level, particularly the youth level, because my hands were tied 10 years ago. I would have got rid of four or five of our players that I took to Argentina. But my hands were tied uh, because of the lack of depth that we had. It was a nightmare. But in the club environment, you can move them out. And, and what I would say about this, because I can't see any other reason here. He hasn't been favored. He's been desperate at the back to put I know there's been an injury along the way. Like, again, Canadian players seem to be made of glass. But what's happened here, Steve, and what the listeners need to recognize, is that you've had Prachy come in. You've had Aaron Vinter come in. You've had Bob de Klerk come in. You've had Tommy Song come in. And they are kicking the backside of our Canadian players all over the place. They're moving them out. 
that we don't have hardly any Canadian players playing in the MLS. We have a few players now playing in Europe, but even that is dwindling. There is a reason why that is, and we need to, again, move our head from out of the sand and recognize what we are as a soccer culture here. There's a, there's a reason way beyond the technical level of our players. I was long enough in, in coaching. If you speak to uh, coaches around the country in the CIS, if you speak to coaches that have been around and are pedigree coaches in our country, they will probably come to, to the same or come out with the same kind of statement that I'm going to come out with now, is that one of the biggest disappointments for me as a coach in this country when I coach is to have a technically good, skillful player that has a poor attitude and has the wrong character because you know they're going to fail. It, it's, it, you know, they blame you as the coach that it's, oh, it's all the coach and he's an ass and he's this, that and the other. But at the end of the day, you know they're going to fail. Whether they jump from you, they go to somebody else. Only if you're somebody that's exceptional. And Dwayne de Rosario is exceptional talent. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, even Julian de Guzman, you know, people are questioning why is there not sustained success along his, his career. And in my opinion, it's because of a weaker type mentality. There's an athletic issue, but it's a weaker type of mentality. Because from when he was, he was developed in the Canadian system, he was too much he was coddled too much and I think that is where the Nana uh, uh, Atacora um, situation comes it, it sheds a, a light hopefully Frank Yallop can um, can develop and change that the interesting thing is about about the other trades we talked about Alan Gordon uh, last week and you said you know who, who would they play and I have to say who would they play up top now with Alan Gordon and Kuvermans and I went with Alan Gordon Kuvermans and Platter and I'd stand by that but you know, there was something wrong about it. I felt uncomfortable. I thought, yeah, at the end of the day, they're two central players. I think with bringing in Ryan Johnson, it's much better fit. Like, it really, truly is. Three three guys up front, and you've got Kuvermans. Ryan Johnson will be able to play on either side. He'll be able to play all three of those positions uh, very easily because he's quick and he's fast. He's lost his scoring touch. Maybe some people say he never had it. But I liked him for Jamaica. I agree with you with that. I think it's a clever, smart trade that uh, TFC have made there. Always right. Um, the acquisition of Dunfield and Johnson left T- TFC with a roster with decent depth up front and a real glut of defensive midfielders that suggested more moves would be on the way. It didn't take long for Vinter and Paul Mariner to make their third trade of the week when they announced they had acquired defender Andy Iroh and midfielder Leandre Griffith from this Columbus crew in exchange for midfielder Tony Chaney. With Chaney being a young player with excellent potential, and with him having been the centerpiece in the Dwayne Di Rosario trade, I was surprised that he was the central midfielder that TFC shipped out. What are your thoughts on Chaney leaving and Iroh and Griffith coming in? Yeah, okay, the, the, the first player, the, the, the Griffith uh, uh, player, I'm, I'm not particularly enamored by that. It was just part of the, the trade, and I think that... Uh, Aaron Binter mentions that it's a depth issue right, right there off the bat. I think there's question marks about how good he will be, but he's part of the trade and it's part of, uh, of, of making sure you have depth and a little bit of experience. But you know, I don't think there's necessarily pedigree there. I don't think that, uh, that they think there necessarily is. But the other side, I thought that Aaron Binter addressed that really well. I mean, sometimes you just have to give up something that you really don't want to give up but to get a, a, a player in a position that is more important. And that's the beauty of uh, hockey trades. I mean, it's the beauty of the sporting system in North America. You know, I mean, some people look at the negative of it, and, sure, and for sure players don't want to be, I'm sure, uh, 
uh, China didn't want to didn't want to necessarily move out of Toronto. It's a beautiful city, and necessarily go to Columbus. But but uh, it's the nature of the game, and it's what's sort of exciting. You know, it's like playing the FIFA uh, uh, manager game. Uh, you, you know, where you have you know decisions to make. You know, with uh, with uh, players and, and who you would select to, to have your your team. And that's exactly what's going on with Aaron Vincent. I think he he addressed it. Didn't want to lose him, nor would I want to use him. I think he's got potential. But I, I really like the uh, the Iro uh, player from. I mean, he comes from Liverpool. He comes from Toxteth, which uh, without generalising on Toxteth, it's a tough area. Uh, Wayne Rooney comes from that area. He's got a little bit about him for sure. He went to University of, uh, of Santa Barbara, and uh, they won the, the NCAA Division One Championship. He's six foot five. Started off as a forward uh, and played as a midfielder. Ended up as a centre back. When those kind of things happen, it means that you're that you are a pedigree player in how you understand the game tactically because you've played up front for most of your career, but you've been converted into a centre back. Like I really like that, and what I also like about it is, so he's got you know really good grooming in the game coming from Liverpool. He went to a, a terrific collegiate uh, program with a terrific coaching staff, and then they win the championship there. And Columbus, they were a top team, go out and recruit him. They've sort of done the recruiting for Toronto FC. Like I don't think there's going to be uh, too many negatives. You know, there's a question mark about why he hasn't been playing recently. Uh, who knows why that is? But there's for sure talent and potential there. And he's a centre back, and TFC were desperate. They had to make that kind of trade. There's no doubt, and I'm assuming that they've done their homework. Even with all these changes made by Toronto, there is speculation that the club could still make further changes. With it still possible, the team could bring in another central defender. And the acquisition of Dunfield suggesting that some type of deal to send Julian de Guzman back to Europe could even be possible. While on paper the team looks to be improved, it is going to take some time to integrate all these new faces. I'd like to end off this episode of the Paul James on Soccer podcast by getting your general assessment of you know, the moves as a whole and whether you think the team will be improved in the second half of the season because of them. Well, I would say from their perspective, they better be because... Uh... Because doing all those, I mean, I mean that's that, that's the side. I mean, you you have an opinion. You have uh, your opinions are that you need to move these players out and you bring them them in. The expectations are now high, and it really shows. You know, there's one thing about a coach can go out and and uh, and, and produce a team on the field of play and get results. That's quantifiable. You can you can judge the coach on that. The style of play you can judge the coach, but also when they make significant trades, they're also judged on that. So this will be really, really interesting. I mean, you know, as a betting man, I would say the Toronto FC have, uh, have uh, done some really good deals here. I think that they've, uh, they've he, he's really determined to put in his system. I mean, you know, people have comments out there, and I think they're very correct, that you have to uh, build your system around the resources that you have. And uh, so I've sort of been critical on that side of uh, Toronto FC. The downside for them playing 4-3-3 uh, and letting everybody know they're playing 4-3-3. And there is that Dutch stubbornness and arrogance about that uh, they, they sometimes just don't change. They won't change what they think. Now, the strength of that is is that they're proving it. They're going out and they're putting those pieces in, in play. And they're, they're, they, are, they are saying that this is the way we're going to play and we're going to put those pieces in place. So now they're going to be judged on that. And, and all, all, you know, remember... 
is that any system on any given day can beat any other system. If it's played well enough, if you play a system well enough, it doesn't matter what the opposition play, is that you're going to be able to succeed. And I have to say, as experience of, uh, of 20 years, and particularly the last eight years of my coaching career, where I really where I really uh, understood and learned about the 4-3-3 system. It is very difficult to play against. Again, if, you have, if you're playing against an opponent that has the right players in the right slots, you, know, you really have to, in my opinion, either play 4-3-3 or really have quality players in a 4-2 system to be able to do it. It's a difficult system to play. So that's the route that they're, they're going. They, they are saying we are not changing that, but we're going to get the players. So they really have... Uh, have uh, made some significant changes here. And if I was TFC uh, fans, I'd be quite excited about it. There's going to be a bedding in process that's going to take a little, uh, a little while, you know, but they will be excited the fact that even though it's going to be a tough chore, let's be fair, to make the playoffs, I just don't see that happening. Uh, it'd be a miracle if they did. It'd be fantastic uh, uh, indication that they're on uh, that they really are pedigree people if they were to make the MLS playoffs as a result of these trades. But I think more importantly, they go in the CONCACAF championship, and that's where they're going to have a little bit of time uh, to to give these players ex- experience. You know, next year will be the time where I think that the TFC will really reap the benefits of what they've just done. I would say, um, I, I would say again, believe in uh, and Vincer. I think he's on the right track. If you have questions that you'd like Paul to address, please send your email to pauljames at rednationonline.ca.